Hello and welcome. You're listening to the You Do Root podcast, and I'm your host, Allison Cullen. I'm a mom with a background in business and counseling, but I've always been tapped into the more woo-woo side of everyday life. I'm here to take you on an exploration of your spirituality, give you helpful life hacks, help you on this evolution through motherhood, and give you a weekly dose of useful woo. If you need your cup filled, your mind expanded, and you want to increase your manifestation abilities at the same time, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. You guys, this conversation has been a long time coming. I think that we might have rescheduled this a few times, but it's divine timing. We are meant to be recording right now and getting this out to you before 2023 ends. I have the beautiful Allison Canavan on with me today. Allison is one of the first people that I was actually introduced to when I moved to this new town in the hill country. And I'm so grateful. Thank you, Amy Edwards, for connecting us. Allison, how are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here. It's <laughs> funny, as you said, like divine timing, I went yeah, it's actually, it is meant to be today. Mm-hmm. For so many reasons, we are meant to be having this conversation today. So thanks for having me. Yes, we just we just pressed record, but we've actually been on Zoom just chatting back and forth for quite a while. So we're all warmed up and ready to go. I'm just going to go ahead and dig in. Um, I definitely want everybody listening to connect with Allison because she has a really amazing, just long list of resources on her even just your Instagram page, but I know you have a little link there. So I'm going to make sure that you look at the show notes and give Allison a follow on Instagram. We're going to go over some other things at the end, but I wanted to make sure that you at least follow her right now before you forget. So Allison, give us a short little overview of the past few decades of your life. You have a very fascinating life. Um, (laughs) Just so y'all know, Allison is a 6'2 manny-gen, a little bit more generator, and Mm. I'm like, okay, I just turned 40 and it's amazing. I think 40s are going to be my favorite decade for sure. But the 6'2 profile, 50 is the big deal. When do you turn 50? So I'm 45. And you know something that came up, not just in human design, but in uh, my gene keys, lots of different things. And then I went to see a palm reader recently who was just looking at my palm and he was like, oh, you're not supposed to really start rocking and roll until you're 50. Right. It's so crazy. So you're turning 50 right when we hit the new paradigm, which should be really, really magical. Um, Anyways, give us a little bit overview of the last few decades of your life and how you got to where you are now being a motivational speaker, coach, author, all the things. I'm laughing. I'm like, how long have we got? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's synopsize this. I started modeling at 15. So I have a 13-year-old. And I, I look at him growing and I think, what was going on that my parents let me model in 15? Like, I see 15 year olds now. I think I, I do have, I was laughing the other day. I was in New York doing a job and I was passing a nightclub that I used to go to all the time. And I think I've aged dysmorphia, Alison, seriously. I was laughing because the kids, and I'm not saying, okay, they're not kids. Outside the nightclub, people were lined up and I was looking at them going, oh my God, they're kids. Yeah. Now, I still think I'm the age that, I was going into those mm-hmm. nightclubs. So when I was looking at these incredibly young people, I was like, oh my gosh, I still feel like that. Like mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm marquee going age. So it's really interesting. Like when I was 15, I obviously, I would thought I was bulletproof. You know, we all think we're older than we are, but now in hindsight, it was probably just a little too young to be traveling and doing all the fashion shows all over the world. And um, yeah, I started, I represented Ireland in the Ford Supermodel of the World competition when I turned 16 then. And I represented Ireland. We were in Las Vegas and I presented entertainment TV. I remember Cindy Crawford was there. It was amazing. My friend's dad, Bill Fuller, he's since passed, uh, had a, you know, a lot of businesses in Las Vegas and he took me out and it was all very exciting as a 16 year old. And I went straight to Paris from there and started doing all the big shows, you know, London, Paris, New York, Milan. And every school holiday, I would go and I would model and then moved straight to London at 17 when I left school in Ireland. So I lived 
I've lived all over the world. I've lived in Paris and London and South Africa and Australia. I lived in New York for 10 years. I've I've worked all over the world as a model. So that's one of the beautiful and blessed parts of that, of that career is that wherever there was an agency where I could work, I used it as an opportunity to travel. So that was the unbelievably positive, amazing side. And I'm a traveler and I love learning about people and cultures and you know, did a huge amount of work with Irish Charities Gold, you know, in, in India and raising money. And so I just have had a very blessed life in a lot of ways. But then the other side of that was I struggled with depression and anxiety at a very young age, really kind of not feeling really good in my skin. And if you go into an, an industry like modeling, you're going to get lost even further. And then I discovered drink and drugs mm-hmm. super young and it was free and easy in my career. And so I really ended up on this roller coaster of trying to figure out my life, getting lost even further. The highs needed to be higher. The lows were lower. Modeling can be a very lonely industry. You know, you're always traveling by yourself. And even though you're going to these, I remember I went to Hong Kong for a job. Sure. I didn't see anything. You're up at like three in the morning. You're shooting all day. You're finished at 10 o'clock at night. You know, that goes on for a few days and then you get on the plane and you leave again. So there was aspects of it that were very, very lonely. And I then, gosh, I broke up with my partner and discovered I was pregnant after I broke up after many Mm -hmm. years of being together. And I had been living in New York and I was 32 and I thought I can't raise this kid on my own. And I moved home to Ireland to be near my family. Now I had left Ireland pretty much in my late teens, right? So you're going back, moving back in with your mom, Ta-da! 32, wow. going, how did this happen? And then I said, well, we all know how we get pregnant, right? Like that's not this. <laughs> <laughs> so we know how that part happened. But I do remember it was like really a, a, a dark night of the soul moment, not the pregnancy, but just the questioning of how did I go from living on Central Park West to back in my old bedroom at 32 with my mom terrified. And that was like a major, major turning point of transformation within me because I had been meditating, had amazing Buddhist teachers who I just saw last week, a guy called Kadam Morton Morton in New York. Gosh, you know, I just had the privilege of sitting in on a class with him on Sunday and I same could have been sitting in at the same class 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. He freaking looks the same. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible teacher saying the same things, you know, Buddhism, training the mind. And I was sitting there going, wow, it's like coming full circle, right? I used to sit in his room. He used to have a little room on the fifth floor, very different now. They've got this beautiful Kadampa Buddha Center in New York. And I used to sit in the room and listen to his teachings. And for that moment in time, I used to be able to make sense of life in New York. It was just like this, this beautiful glimmer of hope that I used to have all the time. And of course, then we know we leave the class and our thoughts come back and our life returns. And it, this, we end up in the same cycles of behavior. So I started telling my story about mental health in Ireland kind of by accident, Alison, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I started going into schools and talking to young girls about body image. And because that's really where this started for me, looking at women in my industry who had such a poor relationship with themselves, like what we see as the most beautiful girls in the world who were really insecure and did not like themselves certainly not love themselves didn't even really like constantly questioning their self very insecure in their body and in their being and I initially thought that was food Mm. that they saw this relationship with food that was so destructive and I studied nutrition for years and I remember being in clinic and I was like this is not food this is emotion this is Mm -hmm. trauma Mm-hmm. And that's what what really got me on my journey of coaching and studying at UCLA. And I'm a heart math facilitator and I'm mm. deeply, deeply interested in the mind body connection. But I'm also deeply interested in ancestral trauma, ancestral wounds, what we carry from before. If it's not healed, like in Ireland, you know, the shamanic culture is really deeply ingrained in our culture. And I spent many years going to shamanism Ireland and I really began to understand, you know, Ireland has been a very suppressed nation for a long time. And if something hasn't been healed in the generations previous, and we do live in a culture where we pick up the rug, we push it under the carpet, and we hope it'll all go away, right? Mm. And it doesn't. And so what doesn't get healed gets passed on. 
Mm-hmm. And so I began to, to really understand that I was one of those people who had chosen in this incarnation to do that work. And it's not for the faint hearted, like doing that work and going in and doing the healing is, is huge. And I'm in recovery. Uh, it'll be nine years in the new year. Mm-hmm. I, you know, teach breath work and meditation. I understand nervous system regulation and teach about that. And I started to really understand the power of self-care how we take care of ourselves, understanding our relationship to what happened to us as children, but not just that, like many, many lifetimes mm-hmm. that we've been here, the karma that we're, we're living with. How do we move forward from that? How do we serve? What are we here to do? How can we shine our light? They're the questions that drive me. So you could say that's a very long answer. You could say that my modeling was the most beautiful template and groundwork being in such an extreme environment to do the work I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So many things. I I didn't want to interrupt you while you're talking. So, um, and if you see me waving at you, there is a fly that is stuck here (laughs) in my office with me and he keeps landing on my nose. So I'm not trying to like get your attention. So crazy. So I, we have very, very different paths but mm-hmm. it's interesting because I think we're similar in the purposes that we have in leading other people. Um, I really do. I do. I I haven't always believed in past lives up until recently. I ac- actually had a past life. Um, what's it called? Regression a couple of years ago. And that was the first time. And I was sort of, I don't, you know, I was just I questioned it. I was like, I don't know if this is real. This is weird. Like, am I going to be hypnotized? Like whatever. It was real as day. Like it was Mm -hmm. real. And I experienced my death, like in, Mm -hmm. when I was doing the regression and so many things I know that I deal with this in this lifetime because of that, that lifetime, one of those being apparently in that lifetime, I was very, very, devoutly religious, like very judgmental and very religious. And I was that way the first couple decades of this life and then sort of had an Mm -hmm. awakening and, and am meant to have a incredible connection with God, but be a much more open around the, the rules and the dogma and, and all that kind of stuff. And I do think that one of the other things is for me in this path is, um, dealing with my trauma and dealing with emotional, like processing emotions instead of putting them under or drinking them, drinking them away. I'm, I'm not Irish. I'm German. And we now live in a little German hill country town. It's really, (laughs) it's really, it's where most of my ancestors are from um, or moved to in the early 1800s is this little area, this little part of Texas. And um, it's sort of crazy because when we moved here, we moved here in April and April till now I've drank alcohol, like the least I've ever drank in my life. And I was Mm -hmm. nervous about that because there's breweries and wineries, you know, Mm -hmm. like all the different things. And then the last time that I drank in November, I had like a, like God came to talk to me while I Mm -hmm. was like at the end after like three glasses of wine, it was like, you're done forever. In 15 years, people aren't going to be drinking like this and you get to go first, which you've gone first, yeah. <laughs> like very, very first. <laughs> but it was like, seriously, someone was speaking to me and I was like, and I just started crying and I was like, okay, here we go. And I'm so grateful to have somebody like you, who's like nine years ahead of me, um, But I think that in order to do this kind of work, you have to not have the numbing. No, you have to be a clear channel. Like, it's really interesting as I'm listening to you, we have more similarities than you think. So as I'm listening to your story, I'm like, oh, gosh, there's a lot. I mean, I it's funny because as a student of alchemy, the last couple of years I'm studying alchemy. And one of the things, you know, it's quantum physics as well Mm -hmm. that we learn is that there is no time. Time, as we see it, the structure of linear time is for us here is in a human body, Mm -hmm. 3D. But all our lifetimes are happening right now, all Mm -hmm. at once. Have you ever seen the movie Interstellar where at the end, Mm. if anybody's never seen that, it's a really good 
example of our relationship to time when he goes to space but at the end he's in the tesseract and he realizes that it's all him and it's him on all the different timelines and so all of our timelines are actually happening all at once so past present and future right so I remember when I first started studying alchemy I kept saying to my teacher so I want to write this book can I just pull it from my future self because I'm struggling with it right like because my brain of course wanted to go into all of these different ways of it's very difficult for us to I don't think our human brain is is developed for us to really understand this stuff, like to really understand the quantum. Like I think our brain's quite limited from that perspective because yeah. to think of the magnitude of I'm on millions of different timelines living all of these different lives all at once, right? And then every decision I make affects them through all space and time. But I do remember a couple of past lives even before mm. I you know, before I did any of the work or QHHT, which is quantum healing hypnosis technique. And it's so interesting because I absolutely remembered being burnt at the stake in a village. That was something I remembered since I was super, super young. And then I ended up coming to somewhere like Bernie in Texas, you know, where I did feel very triggered um, by religion. Mm -hmm. And I have deep faith. Like, I mean, really, really deep faith. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I just have deep faith in God, you Mm -hmm. know, and trust. But then I also come from Ireland, you know, where the Catholic Church was very, very oppressive and everything was fear, 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 fear. You know, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, you know, you're going to hell, you're a sinner. And it just never resonated with me because I was just I remember in school asking the nun. I was seven. Yeah. And I remember, gosh, I'd be like things you should never say. But I learned after I got hit anyway. Um, you know, I was because they were so mean and they were not all of them. There was a couple of beautiful nuns who I remember forever that were so kind and just so amazing. But in general, they hit us and they were mean and it was not great memories. And I remember just questioning if God is good. Right. Like, is this what we're learning in our religion books? And I put up my hand and I was like, if God is good and love, why does he have such mean people working for him? <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. So that was the end of the, I didn't get an answer, obviously, you know, parents get brought up you get given out to all the rest you know so you didn't actually get an answer it's like how dare you say that but I didn't really get an answer because I was just I was genuinely confused Mm -hmm. I was like this God I'm learning about is so nice and full of love and then all of these people are quite the opposite right including sometimes the priests who weren't very nice to us and who were you know quite scary But I do, you know, I do really believe that we're at an age when you talk about the alcohol, I think for consciousness to expand and grow at the rate it is, alcohol lowers your consciousness, it lowers your frequency, it lowers your vibration. So I do notice with most of my clients that come to me and a lot of people come to me because they know I'm in recovery. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, I don't feel like I'm an alcoholic, but I do think I drink too much or, Mm -hmm. you know, I would like to stop having so much wine in the evening. And what I like to say to my clients is when you truly show up and do the work on yourself, the alcohol automatically kind of goes as a natural side effect. It's like take the effort, focus on the things you love doing, focus on your self-development, focus on meditation, focus on this work, and then you actually won't want to drink. And pretty much 100% of my clients say that to me. Like, I just don't feel like drinking anymore. I'm like, yeah, because your vibration is higher and because you're giving Mm -hmm. to yourself and you're focusing on things that bring you joy. And I work, I used to work with people in addiction in a very different way than I do now, because I don't believe, you know, if someone says to me, I go home every night and I have to have a glass of wine because it relaxes me. And I'm like, and it actually does, right? We have to remember Mm -hmm. that. Like it actually is doing that. For a little bit. Yeah. For a little bit. Yes. But you know, the next morning, that's not the case or whatever. But in that moment, it is the medicine they need, but I'm more interested in why are you overwhelmed, burnt out and exhausted yeah. every day coming from work? Like I'm going to, before we take away that glass of wine, I want to look at your energy management. Mm-hmm. I want to look at how you start your day. I want to look at how you show up for yourself. What are you eating? I want you to kind of take an inventory of how can I deposit into my bank account of energy more than I'm taking out, right? Like, you know, I always say if you were if you were using your phone all day and you didn't charge it, you wouldn't be surprised if you had 5% battery left in the evening. So why are we surprised when we're burnt out and exhausted? But if you plugged that phone in for 10 minutes, three times during the day, you might have 60 to 70% left in the evening. That's what I'm more interested in getting people to than taking away something, yeah. right? 
Because it's like you will naturally let something go when you feel better. Yeah. So when, and I have my own answer for this that everybody who listened to this podcast already knows, but I'd love to hear from you. When God told me, like in 10 to 15 years, alcohol mm-hmm. is going to be like cigarettes where people aren't, it's yes. just not going to be, a th- I'm sure some people will be doing it, but not as much. What do you think is going to happen? Like, why do you think that's, if that's true, why do you think that's going to be the case? Oh, I've been saying that for the last decade since I got sober. Like I've been saying that I'm like the, the, the landscape is changing because we are shifting. Our DNA is changing. We're light beings. Our vibration is being raised. Alcohol is like a poison that goes into a body that has a higher frequency and makes it sick. Yeah. And people genuinely, like I have had clients who, you know, feel amazing or they go in a detox and then they have a glass of wine and they actually throw up. So yeah. that shows you just how toxic it is. So the cleaner your body, listen, 20 years ago, you would now be amazed at how I'm alive. Like my body should probably go to science, right? Same, to same. <laughs> I, I mean, the crap I used to put into my body, the alcohol, the drugs, the partying, like I am telling you now, I don't know how I got up and survived every day. But because I have spent years detoxing and I eat good food and I rest well and my body is a lot cleaner, I can't even have crap food Mm -hmm. without really feeling affected by it. So everything carries a vibration. Everything carries a vibration. But we as a species are changing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we're shifting and changing and alchemizing as a species. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that too. And that's why we're becoming so incredibly sensitive as a species to toxins. You know, when people get sick, I'm always saying, they say, I have a cold or a flu. I'm like, no, your body is trying to fight all the toxic load that you Mm -hmm. have. You know, it's like, where we have we're being pummeled with chemicals in our food in the air you know it's everywhere it's all around us we have more chemicals going into us now than ever before yes our bodies are amazing at detoxing our liver our kidneys but we were not made to deal with the amount that we are today and so i'm a huge proponent of consistent and constant detoxing and taking care of ourselves so i think you got the you got the message That is, I love how you got the message and the wording because I do believe it. And I just think we won't be able to have energies like alcohol in our body because it's just not going to match up with us vibrationally. And people are doing the work. And to be honest with you, Alison, most people drink because they don't want to feel. And as more people are waking up, which they are every day, and more people are showing up and more people are doing the work, like there is no shortcut to doing this work. Yeah. Like anybody tells you that waking up and doing doing personal development work and spiritual work is easy is is run a million miles from them because <laughs> it's not. You yeah. know, it is one of it is the warrior's path without a shadow of a doubt. Like to to really stand and take a look at yourself and to be with your pain is is one of the most difficult things to do. And you know, I thought. I thought it would have been the worst the first couple of years that I'm sober. But this year I've had a couple of really deep, dark moments where, you know, but I always know that I come out of it a million times better than I go in, you know? So it's just reminding myself this too shall pass. You're going in. I kind of look at it like layers of an onion Mm -hmm. and in each layer we take off, we get the tools to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Like we can't go really deep initially we wouldn't be able for it so as we go into the deeper levels we're able to kind of just go to that deeper level of ourselves. if you were watching a video game or playing a video game the first level is always really easy right mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. you know and then we get to the higher levels and you're like oh my god I feel like I've been on level three for years <laughs> you know I yeah. just can't seem to to get through level three and then you do and you're thrilled and you have like a little bit of kind of Take yeah. a deep breath, and then we're into level four. And the reason why level four is harder is because you've picked up all of this amazing wisdom from level one, two, and three that you can yeah. use now to help you move through level four. Right? That's yeah. how I see it. it. We're we're in a game. This is the game of yeah. life. Yeah. I was on my last Zoom this morning. That's what we were talking about. Talking about was gamifying life. Mm. It's, it's crazy. It's um, interesting too because. My sister was just in town the last couple of days and she's a child therapist and she was watching me with Caroline 
and who's four, four, a little over four. And man, it's like conscious parenting is a whole thing of this too. Cause I'm like, I feel like it'd be way easier to be a parent if I didn't know all these things. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like at, sometimes I wish to not know all of these things. However, that's how we evolve as a species is to have, you know, be better and better and better with each generation. And if and- we're not, we're just repeating our parents' yeah. patterns. You know, yeah. we're just saying what they said, doing what they do. Because I hear you sometimes when you're having a really just a bad day or you're struggling, it's like, God, I wish I wasn't awake. Why can't right. I just be? Like, you know, we have these moments and then you think, no, it actually wouldn't be, be fun. There's something very beautiful about, you know, being present to life as it's unfolding. That's something I didn't have the privilege of for so long when I was in the throes of addiction, because I numbed myself from probably 14 years of age, Mm -hmm. if not before in different ways. Like I, I actually look at my trajectory of my life and I look at that, I've numbed myself as a very small child with sugar. Yeah. Actually, like, I mean, I would have searched the house. Like when we talk about addiction and where it starts, like I would have, my mom used to hide, you know, when she do the shopping, anything with sugar in it and like the washing machine and different things. And I would hunt. I would hunt through the house to find sugar. And that's when I look back and go, wow, that was the beginning of the addiction. That was the numbing. That was the stuffing. That was the escapism and then as soon as I got my hands on something stronger mm-hmm. I took it so I actually was numbed out of my life for a very long time you know for most of my life until it's funny because just before I got pregnant was probably the healthiest time in my life which makes sense right and then when I was pregnant no desire to nothing no mm-hmm. desire breastfed for a year and a half just no desire it was interesting when it was about someone else not me. Yeah. I didn't think enough of myself to want to actually treat myself well. That's the truth of it. I didn't like myself enough to care. But there was a baby growing inside me. And I cared enough about another being Mm -hmm. to not put anything into my body. I, I mean, I was the healthiest I've ever been during that pregnancy. But about a year and a half after, you know, James was born, I went out and I drank. And it was like I... I just realized, wow, you really have no control over this. It's it's wild. Like, you know, I was like, oh, I'll go out and just have one glass of wine and realize there is no such thing in my world. There is no such thing in my universe. Once that substance goes into my body, there is just no stopping me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was a great drunk. That's also not good. You yeah. know, you're great fun. You can drink all night. You're the life and soul of the party. Yeah. Not. So I realized that it, it had to go. And it, I can, it was for me a God moment too, which is interesting. Like I got on my hands and knees and I said to God, I promise every single day, if you help me. And I had been in the rooms of AA for 10 years, mm-hmm. never, ever being successful at trying to get sober, never overdoses, everything, you name it, just couldn't make it. And I was just like, if you help me, if you help me really get on top of this every single day that I wake up, I will serve. Mm-hmm. And that is my first prayer of the day. How can I serve? Show me the way. Show me how mm-hmm. I can serve. And I never wanted to drink after that. And I know people who are in the throes of addiction and who can't get sober say that's impossible. But I do believe in miracles. I yeah. really, really do. And people who knew me in the rooms of AA for 10 years, people who knew me in New York will also say it's a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, people who knew me in nightclubs who would fight with me at three in the morning and beg me to go home. <laughs> Like, and just say you're impossible once you get alcohol into you. Like once you get a drink, that's it. You're gone. It's like, nobody can speak to you. You know, I, I'll meet a new friend at the bar and stay out with them. Right. Like, so, so I do believe that that was divine intervention. A hundred percent without a shadow of a doubt that day that was divine intervention. And I don't take that lightly. That commitment I made that day, that promise to God, I don't take that lightly. And I think, I think that's really important for me is that when we're ready to really fully surrender and hand it over and stop trying to control everything help is there it is there but we have to trust and it doesn't mean just because you know I didn't want to drink the next day I didn't have to do the work like the next year of my life was 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 tough like you I had to show up I had to do the work I had to go in and heal 
and look at the reasons why I wanted to numb out of my life all the time. Like that's the most important part. Like giving up alcohol is, is the very first step, but now you're gonna feel all the feelings you've been trying to numb. That's the problem. So I took a year off in 2021 because of 2020. So I had a baby in 2019. And then when I was done breastfeeding, started drinking quite a bit. It was 2020. It was freaking hard. I lost my job. I started this podcast. Like all, it was just a lot going on. And I was like, this is not okay. I'm going to take a year off. You know, I had just never done that before other than being pregnant. And that's when I had to go through all those first feelings. And it was terrible. It was so hard and so terrible. And I know I'm only like a little bit into it this time, but it's not with, with that time. I felt like I had rules. on. I was like, I made this rule. I made this promise to myself. Now I feel like it's a privilege, not a rule for my, do you know what I mean? It's like a freedom. It's like a, oh my God, finally, finally, I don't have to be like, oh, maybe this month I'll have one night that I go out, you know? And it's like, I don't have to worry about that. I mean, I can go out, but I just don't have to worry about if oh. I'm going to have two drinks or not, you know? You're bringing me, oh my God, <laughs> you're triggering memories of, uh, you know, I could absolutely, I remember give up drink for a few weeks if everybody was at me, if my family were at me and my boyfriend was at me, but I would always have in my mind, somebody's wedding or a big event. Yeah, yeah. If I had that. To you look could, yeah. forward to, yeah. I could do anything. Like I'd be like, oh yeah, I can stay off for three weeks because I'm going to have a massive blowout on this date. And that's the problem with, it's interesting when we look at addiction and people say, oh, I'm not addicted. And I'm, you know, I'm like, if you, if you can say to yourself today, if I never, ever, ever, ever had a drink again, it would never bother me. Then yep. no problem. But if you can't say that, well, then the relationship needs to be looked at, mm -hmm. right? And that's what we say. And do you know what? If that's hard to bear or it's triggering, trust me, I know I was there for years. I would have, I could have convinced you of anything, anything in order for me to drink. Like, I mean, there is nothing I couldn't convince people of. But it, it was it was remarkable that as long as I had something to look forward to or, you know, I, I hear a lot of people I work with say, I can't wait to get through my day with the kids just so I can get them mm -hmm. to bed and have a glass of wine. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I remember that. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like willing your life away. Yeah. So you're not actually in your life. You're wishing your life away for something at the weekend or something in the evening or something the I'll be happy when syndrome I'll be happy when and it's always future oriented so you're never actually in your life which means you're always longing and wanting and you're never at peace and that's that's the gift of what letting go of alcohol has given me is peace mm -hmm. and it's not it doesn't mean I'm peaceful all the time but it means I have access to that state of being more often than not. And that in and of itself is the greatest gift I have ever given myself in this life, yeah. because it means that good times are great and bad times are not as bad as they would be. Yep. Yep. Totally. Okay. A little bit about human design, just because I want to tell people about your chart a little bit. So Allison is a manifesting generator and I'm very jealous of your chart. You have for all of the chakra centers, you have everything divined except the solar plexus, which is the emotional center and the crown, which is your direct access to God. How does that show up for you? Like, so I have both of those open too, but I have a few other open as well. Um, the solar plexus, the emotional center just means like you are a sponge for other people's emotions. If you were just on an Island by yourself every day, you'd wake up happy and everything would be fine. But it's like situations and other people's emotions are very, very, well, for me, they're just real freaking triggering. And then the open crown, that is like your psychic abilities, getting channeling downloads, like all that kind of stuff. How do both of those show up for you being open? Yeah, I mean, mine, I've always been very psychic, but never, I was always scared of it. You know, like I would pick things up about people when I was young, very, very young, P things in their body, things that were going on. I could almost hear people's thoughts, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Like some of my clients, I get downloads for them and they're like, what? Now I know it's a gift, but it's something I worked very hard at shutting off for most of my life. 
the same with being around people. It was like, I literally would be the sponge mm-hmm. of everybody's energy in the room. And I've always found that it's very depleting if you don't know how to. That's why my work now is I go into corporates. I teach on energy management. That's the title of what the work I do. Yeah. I'm an energy management coach. I mean, you can't do what you haven't experienced all your life. I know what it's like to have the life sucked out of you. So I was just in New York walking down the road. My breath starts to shorten Mm. and I can feel my body, you know, just being consumed with anxiety. Now that's just because I'm in a big city with a lot of energies. And now I have the tools. I just did the four, two, six breaths the whole way Mm -hmm. to the hotel. And by the time I put my hand on the door of the hotel, I was back in my body. I could take a deep breath. Now, years ago, when I was in New York and living there, I didn't have any tools. Mm -hmm. So I was going out to nightclubs and I was around people all the time and doing big photo shoots. And I had really no awareness that I was picking up on everybody's energy. I could always knew I could feel things very intimately. Like if two people were having a conversation or if I walked into a room, it's almost like I knew exactly what was going on in the room. But I had no idea how to work with it and how to protect myself so I didn't become it all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's been like a big life journey for me. And I have to I have to be mindful to take care of my energy because I will go into a room and I will absorb everything. And I could come home completely depleted, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I always feel if I'm not taking care of my own energy, I'm just kind of like a pendulum where I'll swing to whatever. I'll meet with, I'll match what I meet. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing, you know, and I think that's for most human beings on earth. If we're not looking after ourselves, we'll just match what we meet, right? Energetically. And so I am acutely aware of that, 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 that crown chakra when I was a child used to terrify me Yeah, because I used to get all these messages from God Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do with it. And if I ever spoke it, people would be scared. People were scared of that. People are still kind of scared of that. You know what I mean? When you get like messages. So that's really how that has showed up for me. But then, you know, my greatest challenge is turning out to be my greatest gift. Yes. Which is interesting. And that's only very recent, Alison, like very, very recent. You know, like I would say the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. like even in my coaching, really, really leaning in and really using it because I was really scared of that. Mm -hmm. And I I shut myself down because of it. And I would say that's probably one of the main reasons I I drowned myself in alcohol, Mm -hmm. you know, because to try and close that off. Yes. Right. Can I close it off? Can I shut it down? And I think that's a lot of sensitive people will try and do that. Mm -hmm. You know, with substances, whatever the whatever the choice of substance, whether it's sugar, codependency in my eyes is a substance with people, right? Being in relationships, codependent, food, um, you know, gambling, sex, uh, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, pills, you know, just trying to numb out from feeling too much. It's like I feel too much. And I kind of look at my immediate physical reaction to being in New York at the weekend. And seeing how quickly I responded to it and understanding why now living on four acres in the country, in the hill country, I feel so much more at peace. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel so much more grounded. I think I never knew that about myself up until now. You know, I really do well in this environment. It's, it's perfect for me. Yeah. Cam, my husband and I talk about this quite a bit. Like we're, we feel so much better this year. And which is crazy because there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't just like financially having more expenses than we have because we still haven't sold our other houses and like all that kind of stuff. It's, it's fine. It will get better. But like, there's so many reasons we should have had more stress and both of us are so much more regulated. Like our nervous systems are regulated and it's just plain moving from a city with 8 million people to one with 20,000 people. Like, and less 5g towers and like all that, you know, all that kind of stuff, yeah. like more nature, more, um, more, I mean, we go hiking almost every day and all that kind of stuff. Like I just was, I was really needing that and needing some white space. And I think for me, the crown center being open, I think it's only recently sort of activated. I did not have the same experiences that you did, like as a young person, I think it was totally I was just, I don't, I don't know. I was not accessing that at all. I think a lot of it was like religious conditioning of like, 
you show up and you interact with God this way and blah, blah, blah. And so this has only recently been a thing for me where how it's shown up for me is I will like literally black out sometime when I'm having conversations either on Zoom, I'm here now, but on Zoom or with my clients in a human design reading. And I'm like, what just happened? And it's like, okay, well, God just came and started speaking through me. And I think that it's going to take me really lowering distractions Mm. to have that totally come on. I think I'm on Instagram too much. I think I take in too much external information. I think I worry and go through my to-do lists too much. And I think like that's sort of my one goal for 2024 is to like clear my mind mm-hmm. more so, um, so that I can be more of a direct channel. And I haven't even been on Instagram as much like the last couple of weeks. And I see the difference. Mm-hmm. Haven't been scrolling, haven't been on it like I usually am. And I do see the difference Well, because I'm moving through a lot of stuff where mm-hmm. I need guidance on, mm-hmm. you know, in my personal life. And I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to. Yeah. I have to just get still. And it's like part of me, every part of me just wants to, you know, do everything else, both be still, but I'm like, nothing comes without my three S's space, silence, and stillness. Mm -hmm. They're the three most important ingredients. And I know this and I teach this. And, you know, even as teachers, we need our own reminders every day. Like I know the three S's are, are what I need. Mm-hmm. Like space, silence and stillness, because nothing comes through busyness. Like mm-hmm. the best ideas come when we're not focused on them. You know, mm-hmm. when we're out for a walk, like you said, you love to go hiking when we're connected with nature. And in this life, in this modern life, very few of us can say every day. Yeah, today I had some space. Mm-hmm. I had some silence and I had some stillness. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's that's something fundamentally that no matter what AI brings in or how fast the world is moving or how much support we're getting from all of these new inventions, we are still human beings. And and that is first and foremost, we are still human beings with a human heart who feel, who have empathy, who care about other people. And so until we really learn to reconnect with ourselves, you know, that's where the healing happens on a collective level. Like we have to come home to ourselves. We just have to. It's imperative, not just for ourselves, but for each other, mm-hmm. which is really important. You know, we don't, we're not individuals. We're collective consciousness. Yep. So we've got to remember that by by serving, we serve each other and ourselves. But like every heart that's healed raises a, the vibration of humanity on this planet. And we can't do this work without opening our hearts, going in, connecting. And I believe the spiritual part of this work is the most important in this world right now. We are in a spiritual war. This is this is a world war. Like we've seen all the others play out physically. We're seeing this play out spiritually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a war for the mind. It's a war for the spirit. And we feel it on some level. But it's like, I really believe in my heart and soul that the more of us who surrender, who get quiet, who do this work, you know, the way will be shown. Like when you said, when God spoke to you, like the messages will appear. We have so many of us scrambling for answers outside of us and it's not where they're going to come from. It's just not, you know, we have to get quiet and go within if we want to affect great change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think my last question for you, um, in human design, we talk a little bit about the new paradigm shift coming in 2027. And it in human design, they say that it takes seven years to decondition, unlearn what you've learned the, the first part of your life. So if if we think about that, then the deconditioning period started in 2020. How has your life changed since 2020? And what shifts oh. have you noticed as we approach <laughs> this new paradigm? <laughs> Oh, so many. I mean, every every year I enter into, I'm like, whoa, the next year can't be quite like <laughs> And then each year tops the one before. Right. Like, this year has been a wild ride, yeah. like on every level. So my, my life has changed. I mean, first of all, I moved countries. Mm-hmm. You know, I moved to LA and my, my whole calendar got wiped. Like I have been tested and challenged 
on levels that are that are, like if you had said to me five years ago, this is going to happen to you. I would look at that situation and go, you'll never survive. You will yeah. never live through that. And I look back in the last few years and go, but you did survive. Mm-hmm. You did. And then something else huge just happened again, where I've been told by 15 different people that it's not possible for me to move through it. And I did manifest someone today, speaking of my manifesting generator abilities. Mm-hmm. You know, I manifested someone today who's like, I have had cases like this and I absolutely can help you with this. Mm-hmm. So I just said, come on, God, show me. And it's like, I seem to be very proficient in overcoming things where 50 p- people will tell me it's not possible. And it's almost like my fuel. When someone says to me, that's not going to happen. You can't do that. I'm like, watch, watch me. me. I, remember, I remember when I was applying to go to UCLA, my sisters and everybody included were like, it's an IBD college. You were only ever a model. You never went to college. You're not good enough. That was the message that was coming to me. And I stopped actually telling people because I was so sick and tired of listening to people tell me all the things I can't do, mm-hmm. all the things I couldn't become all the things that I couldn't overcome, all the people that told me when I wanted to get sober, you've tried loads of times before, you're never going to get sober. I know like that I use as freaking fuel Mm -hmm. to fire me up from the inside. And it's like, never let anyone tell you what's possible for you. You know, we have a, we have a really unhealthy habit in this world of telling people what's possible for them based on our own limited perceptions of what we will or won't do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I feel the last three years I have just shown myself, I feel like I'm the Phoenix that has risen over and over and over and over. And, you know, the last three weeks I was in a car wreck, loads of stuff happened. And I'm like, and we will rise again. We will rise again, ready for 2024, you know, grateful for the lessons and the blessings because there is absolutely nothing that happens to us in this life that we can't learn from nothing. It might seem really crappy at the time and really hard, and we would much rather not be going through it, but there is always a lesson and there is always a gift. And I always believe that it's who we become in the journey, not what happens to us mm-hmm. that determines our life in the future. So that's what I think is so important. I mean, I would love for 2024, five and six, as we hit to 2077, to not be the same as 20, 2021, 20, 22, and 23. Please. Yeah. In a bit. <laughs> but I, I can see, I can see the accelerated path that we're on. Like I actually, I can feel in my being that, you know, 2024 might be tough in some ways collectively, right? Mm-hmm. But I do, I do, there's a part of me that knows we're going somewhere and I feel good about where we're going. Yes. Like explain it. Even when even when curveballs are being thrown at me and it's been really, really hard and I'm in a puddle of tears and I'm crying and it feels like it's a roadblock. There's another part of me that knows where we're that doesn't is not scared. And this this might sound crazy to some people, but there's a very deep part of me that knows it's all going to be okay in the mm-hmm. end. Does that make sense? Yes. Cam and I were just talking about this the other day. He was like, given certain circumstances, I should be freaking out right now. And I'm not. And that has me a little bit freaking out that I'm not freaking out. My human design mentor explained it really well. She said that these next couple of years, few years in going to the new paradigm are going to, they're going to be different than 2020 to 2023. For those of us who are awake, they're going to be the second half of the deconditioning is going to be different. She said, it's going to be like you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, but there's no ground for you to hit. So it's just very much surrender and free falling and enjoying the ride. Yeah. That's the way I feel. I feel like I'm constantly at the edge of the cliff being pushed off. Like I said to God the other day, do we have to be like so close, like so close, (laughs) you know, like, you know, can we not like have a little bit of a breather? Um, and I feel that. And I do feel, though, that there we're being initiated into trust and surrender. And to be initiated into trust and surrender, we have to jump. We have to trust. It's like Rumi used to say in his beautiful poetry, like, take the first step in the path and the path appears. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't appear. It's, it's always like I say as well motivation follows action not the other way around yep. you know when we have loads of people I'm just waiting to feel like I'm ready like 
you know, nobody feels like getting up or really early in the morning and exercising and doing breath work or whatever. But we know when we do it, we feel better afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like the motivation follows the action, mm -hmm. right? Like when we're waiting, a lot of people are in this holding pattern in their life. I'm just waiting till I'm ready. And I'm like, I have news for you. You're going to be waiting a long time because <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. And that's when I remind myself all the time when I don't feel like doing something I know is good for me. It's like you're not going to feel like doing it, but you're going to feel better after doing it. Yes. Do it. Yes. Well, I know that people can connect with you on Instagram, which I'll put your Instagram handle and link and everything in the show notes. How can people work with you right now? What offers do you have right now? Yeah. So at Alison Canavan Wellness, and you can DM me or on my website, alisoncanavan.com. And I do one-to-one -one coaching. I have a women's only uh, spiritual membership. Um, and each month I do deep transformational breathwork meditation classes every week. And we do group coaching and I do workshops every month. And there's a huge library of past workshops and everything in there and meditations and breathwork classes. So we have a lovely group of women there. And, you know, I do workshops in corporates and I teach about energy management and I talk on conferences and I do local companies and I do schools. And so, yeah, I, I'm a coach and a teacher and I love just serving in that way and helping people cope with stress you know, especially during these times. And I do a lot of, a lot of work around mental health and anxiety. I love it. Well, I think this is a perfect resource to have for everybody to have in you as we start end this year and start the new year. Y'all definitely connect with Allison. Allison, thank you for coming on today and being so vulnerable and sharing your story as you always do. Um, I'm so grateful to have met you and to have like a fellow person here in the small town that is like-minded. And I think there's something special going on here, honestly, mm. that's going to be activated in the next few years. So we will see, we'll have to do another podcast episode in a year or yes. something and, and update you guys. And Allison will probably be having her own podcast here soon. So I'm, I'm Woo. talking, talk. She's been yeah. having that in her head for a while. And I was like, we just need, you just need to go ahead and do it. It's time for your podcast. 2024. Oh, thank you for having me. I've loved our conversation as always. And I look forward to seeing what we can birth together in this beautiful town into the world. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. Thank you so very much for tuning in to another episode of You Do Woo. I know that you already have a very full life and that there are literally millions of podcasts that you could be listening to. So I'm super grateful to you for being a loyal listener and I'm so grateful for you sharing your favorite episodes with friends and family members. That is how we are able to serve more people and raise the collective consciousness and really get the word out on a bunch of these fun spiritual topics that we're talking about. I would love to connect with you. Send me a DM on Instagram at yudowoo, all one word. I'd love to hear how you loved today's episode and just a little bit about you. I can't wait to connect. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.